listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. You saw it in the title, um, Five Dangerous Lies that Christians believe. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Five dangerous lies that Christians believe. What's up, Summer? And uh, it really, really is dangerous. I don't just say that as like a, I wonder who that could be. Somebody on Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. Miracle Word Ministries. It's either Tiffany, Jenna, or Carolyn writing, hi, you look nice with hard eyes. I'm going to guess it's Carolyn. Um, it really is dangerous. I didn't just put that as clickbait. You know, so I know people make, you know, titles. I'm not saying that I've not been guilty of it, Zach Ramsey. Uh, but I know sometimes, <laughs> I know sometimes that people, uh, walking, see here, walking to target. I can't get, I don't understand these comments. Caitlin is in new England in the middle of January, walking to target, scootering, outside walking. It's got to be like 19 degrees and you're walking to target with Mike. I just, at least you're with Mike, not walking alone in the middle of the night in Massachusetts. Um, but (laughs) he said, show the book one more time. Uh, the book is available on Amazon. You can find a, a, a complete guide to biblical fasting, but in all honesty, these are dangerous lies. The reason I say that is because if you believe them, it will uh, determine how you not only think, but also, and maybe more importantly, how you act, the actions you take. And that obviously will uh, determine how you end up in life, where your life goes. And uh, remember this progression. It's always the same and it never changes. Remember this progression, how you think determines how you react or act, which in turn will determine where you end up. That's why your thought life is so vital. So vital. How you think determines how you act, which will determine where you end up in life. If you think uh, thoughts that are really contradictory to what the Bible teaches. It's actually a trick of the devil to get you into a place where God can't move in your life. And so I want to show you, and these are five common, this is what's sad about it. Common lies. They're not backed up by scripture, but people will say them, preach them, live them as though they're gospel. I promise you happens all over the place. And I'm going to, I'm going to deal with it tonight because I've seen more Christians destroyed by this. You know, it's not even the devil attacking people. You ever realize that? It's not even like the devil attacking people that's causing people to be destroyed. It's what God said in the Old Testament. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 6. You ever notice that? Most people, the devil doesn't even have to mess with them is that they, they literally will get in there, either get in their flesh 
or just live by uh, bad teaching. And because they do, they end up in trouble. It's like the devil's like, thanks for doing my work for me. I didn't even need to come to your house. Literally, (laughs) people are either messed up by um, wrong thinking because they got around wrong teaching or not taking over uh, the flesh and then they get into fleshly decisions. But there is, this is why it's so vital. It does matter who you hang with. Trust me on that. It does matter who you hang with. It matters who your pastor is. It matters what teaching you're receiving. You better believe it matters. By the way, if you haven't taken a minute to share the broadcast, please do. Um, It matters who's speaking into your life. No question about it. I don't recommend people just go anywhere to church. (laughs) I would never recommend that. I've heard preachers say stuff like that. Well, we just, you know, we get them saved. I don't care where you go to church as long as you go to church. I care where you go to church. I care very much where you go to church because some places that you could go, death traps. If you think I'm joking, you just watch and see how people end up in some places. I'll talk a little bit about it tonight. They're death traps. You know why? They're death traps because if you're in a place that is teaching you the wrong thing about scripture, it can literally affect your whole life for the worse for the rest of your life. And maybe get you so frustrated uh, with the Lord because of misinformation that you, that you literally say, what's the use as many people have done and walk away. And I'll tell you another thing, and I'm not going to deal with this tonight on the, on the five lies. I could, it could easily be the sixth lie, hashtag sixth lie. But if you're at one of these churches that's heavy into the hyper grace movement, I would get out as quickly as possible. I would get out of that church. I would get out of that church. You say, why would you get, grace is a good thing. Oh, grace is a good thing. Hyper grace is a bad thing. It's not a scriptural thing, especially how it's taught today in the hyper grace circles. It's not at all scriptural. And I'll say another thing about it. In fact, if you've never, if you've never uh, heard of the hyper grace message, you don't know what it's about. You know, some of the things being taught by Joseph Prince and others I really recommend that you get a book by Dr. Michael, Dr. Michael Brown called Hyper Grace. That's actually the name of the book. Uh, it's not one of the five lies, Eric, but I'm just going to say I'll make it lie number six because as I'm talking about churches that can make or break you, uh, when you teach, and, and I, I may need to define it because as David slash Jennifer Mullins is saying, what's hyper grace? I realize some people haven't heard of that term, but it's an over uh, exaggeration of grace. And it's really just a deception because it's not what grace is at all. There's teaching going around and it's not new. It's, you know, it's been addressed even in the Bible, but there's teaching that's been going around for at least a decade or two now that uh, when you get saved, God's grace is so strong 
that literally you don't, even if you quote unquote sin, you don't even need to repent as a Christian because it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary for Christians to repent if they make a mistake, if they do sin. Uh, It's impossible for a Christian to lose their salvation. You know, that kind of teaching, it's impossible, you know. And if you're not careful, uh, what it ends up lending itself to is uh, a a teaching of total reconciliation or like a universalism to where everybody's going to heaven at the end because you can't resist God's grace. You can't resist his love. And that is something that's taught, by the way. And people get so into that that they'll even teach even the devils going back to heaven at the end because you can't resist God's love and his grace. And then if you're a Christian, you get saved, your actions no longer matter. What you do doesn't matter because his grace forgave. And this is a term they use. His grace forgave your past, present, and future sins. So none of them matter anymore. None of them matter because of what Jesus did. Well, obviously, that's not the case. Obviously, you do have to take an action that the Bible teaches in order to receive forgiveness. Amen. And 1 John 1, 9, that's what it's about. If we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. They would argue that wasn't written to Christians. It was written to Gnostics that had crept into the church. No, it was written to Christians. It was written to Christians. And the teaching that Christians don't need to repent, Christian, none of their actions matter. And so I'm just telling you, it, it got so popular again, and it's been taught all over the world. And can I just tell you something? Every, excuse me, hold on. It's not Corona. Every <laughs> pastor that I've spoken to, who their people, either through a television program or a book or an online teacher or whatever, not them teaching it, because the pastors I know don't teach it. Any pastor I've spoken to as I travel that said, my people, some of my people got into the hyper grace movement. Every pastor said that it had a devastating effect on that believer, not a good effect, a devastating effect. And I mean, that's without fail. I mean, unequivocally across the board, every single case, oh, they fell back into sin. They started getting drunk again. They left church and they don't come anymore. They said, because they're under grace, they don't, they don't need to come to church. They don't need every instance has been an instance that was negative and I've not seen one positive. I'm just telling you what I've seen and I travel this whole country. I go overseas. And that's that's pretty interesting to me. If this is such a wonderful doctrine from heaven, why does it produce such evil results? If this is such a wonderful thing, hear what I'm saying. If it's such a wonderful revelation from the Lord, why does it produce such negative results in people? Back on drugs, back, you know, whatever. It's, it's always back to the negative. And then they get all, well, 
anytime, like, like brother Glenn is putting in the comments right now, the Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy. And if you, that's a new Testament scripture, by the way. And if you quote stuff like that, you know what they say to you? Oh, sounds like you're into works. I'm sure somebody in the comments section has had somebody say that to you. And say, oh, I guess you're into works and not grace. I guess you're into works. And they don't even know what they're talking about. They honestly don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> because if I were truly into works the way they're referencing it, I would be a person who would be recommending to you that if you do sin, make sure you get a bull, goat, or lamb and sacrifice it and let its blood, the blood sacrifice, be an atonement for your sin. That's works. That's works. That takes us back under the law. I'm not saying go back under the law. Nobody's saying that. That's what's so crazy about this argument. Sounds like you're into works, brother. I'm not into works in an Old Testament context, but I am into works in a New Testament context. Because go read for yourself the book of James, where the Bible says that faith without works is dead. Is dead. That's exactly right, Andrew. He will repay each one according to his works, Romans 2.6. You go on and read the book of Revelation. What does the Bible say that Jesus said to the New Testament churches in, in Asia Minor? I know your deeds. <laughs> and you don't love me like you once did. And if you don't return to your former works, then I will return and remove your candlestick from among the churches. Now, if Jesus, what do you think? You're going to read that and say, man, I really wish Jesus had a better revelation of grace. <laughs> know what you're going to say? You're going to turn to Revelation 2 and 3. Man, if only Jesus would have had access to the teachings of Paul. <laughs> he wouldn't have said those things to those churches. He would have said, you know, I've seen, I, I know that your, your works have changed, but it's a good thing, isn't it? The works don't matter. I only look at you through the filter of my blood that's been shed. No. Jesus said, I know your works, and if you don't return to your former deeds, I'll return, and I will remove your candle. It's judgment. He's talking about judgment. It's exactly what he's saying in a New Testament context. New Testament context. And so, any doctrine that makes you okay with sin is not a doctrine of God. And that's why I guess I have to deal with it as lie number six, which is actually going to be number one, the hyper grace lie that grace and what it ends up becoming is a license to sin, a license to sin, a license to live that life. But that's not God's desire. As Denise put in the comments, Romans chapter six, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means, one translation, God forbid. God forbid. No, absolutely not. There is a standard. It's the word of God. You do have to live up to the standard. We're not preaching a postmodernistic uh, Christianity that there is no absolute truth and 
your reality may be different than my reality. That's what's crept into the church. Well, maybe that's wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me. No, no, it's not something that we debate. Sin is not something that, you know, is different for each person. You might have personal convictions about something that the Bible does not specifically condemn, but understand something. It's not negotiable and it's not based upon your worldview. (laughs) Praise God, Deborah Stokes. I got an unexpected $600 today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And so I want you to hear hear something. This evil postmodernist viewpoint that's tried to creep into the church that what's true for me may not be true for you. What's true for you may not be true for me. Well, that's, you know, I feel that's wrong, but it may not be wrong for you. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. And we can't negotiate with God. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I want you to hear that. I guess it was for, I guess it was number one. I guess I'll give you six because it's so commonly taught. And I honestly do want to, and Tiffany, I don't know if you could do this in the back, but uh, pull up the Amazon link for that, um, that book, Hyper Grace by Dr. Michael Brown. And uh, we can post the link to the, to the Amazon book in the comments for everybody. But that's an excellent book. One of the best I've read in the last decade because it was so heavily being taught and people are being destroyed because of it, being completely destroyed. I can tell you one example that would probably blow your mind there. We were holding a tent meeting in Kentucky and, uh, there was a homeless dude who, um, every night put up a little tent with, uh, a sleeping bag and slept on the field where we had the tent up and he'd attend the services at night. And I think on the last night it was that he, uh, got saved. There's the link for everybody, by the way, Dr. Michael Brown, um, Hyper Grace. Um, and that book will bless you, absolutely bless you. And I recommend that you get it. Uh, and so this homeless guy who was coming to the meetings and staying on the field, uh, he got saved on the last night of the tent meeting. And when we went up to talk to him at the end, he actually said, you know, this isn't really my first time getting saved, I'm rededicating my life to the Lord. And so we started to talk to him and get his story. And he said, uh, yeah, I was saved years ago. He said, I wasn't only saved, I got called into the ministry. And he said, when I got called into the ministry, uh, I answered the call uh, to Bible school. And he said, when I went to Bible school, uh, I got around these guys um, and they started asking me every weekend, are we going to go out? Are we going to go out? And they were, they would go to bars, they'd get drunk, they'd smoke weed, whatever. And he said, I don't, I didn't think we were supposed to be doing this stuff anymore. Baby Christian. I didn't think we were supposed to be doing this stuff anymore. Now that we're saved, we're not supposed to get drunk. We're not supposed to get high. And they said, Oh no, you don't understand grace. You don't understand that we're Kings and priests and we're under grace. And the that stuff doesn't matter anymore. We're already in the kingdom. And they started teaching him that hyper grace thought process. And um, so he'd already been delivered from alcoholism and drug addiction before he got saved. Well, he got around these dudes in Bible school and went right back to drinking, right back to doing drugs. And before long, he told us, 
He was an alcoholic again. He was addicted to drugs again, and he dropped out of Bible school, moved back home, and basically ended up becoming homeless, which is where he was at the time we were holding the tent crusade. Got saved, rededicated his life to the Lord, and God began to touch him. But notice what it was that brought him right back into sin. It was improper doctrine, improper thought process of this hyper grace movement. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. And it's wicked. So if you get that book, get the Kindle edition for your phone, whatever, but get the book. Trust me on that. If you trust anything I say about books, reading, I'm always reading something new. That book will open your eyes and help you to see it's a wicked doctrine. It's not scriptural and it has negative effects on the believer and uh, sometimes has caused people to fall away from the Lord like it did that young man and become an unbeliever again. And so I want to say that I guess that's going to be number one. The, the second dangerous lie that truly is plaguing the church is this thought process that I hear. I, I honestly can't believe that I still hear it, but I do. Even in full gospel churches, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Just a sinner saved by grace. People are still identifying as sinners, as Christians. If you're a, you can't, by the way, you can't be both at the same time. In the same way that you can't be alive and dead at the same time. By the way, breaking news for everybody watching the broadcast tonight or listening on the podcast, in case you didn't ever know this, you can't be alive and dead at the same time. I know that's like revelatory, but you can't. You can't be dead and alive at the same time. So this whole thought process of I'm just a sinner saved by grace, which one are you? Are you a sinner or are you saved by grace? Are you a sinner or are you saved by grace? You can't be both. So which one are you? You got to pick. You have to choose. And I know people think they're being humble. And I know they think that, oh, you know, brother, I'm just, I'm not, I'm nobody, brother. I'm just, a... people come up with these uh, weird, I'm just a nobody telling everybody about a somebody. <laughs> that's like on people's, that's literally like on people's profiles on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm just a nobody telling everybody about a somebody. It's like, dude. You're just a sinner saved by grace. Amen. Amen. Makes me look at you so different. <laughs> you can't be both. That's right, Norman. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what you say. That's the scriptural position. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner. Not anymore. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, old things have passed away. That means they're gone. And behold, all things have become new. You see that? Don't claim to be a sinner. That's not who you are. What a slap in the face to Jesus. Shed his blood, made a way that you could come out of bondage and into his marvelous light, 
that he could take you from death unto life. So what? We could go around continuing to say, well, you know, I am just a sinner. We're all sinners, brother. We're all sinners. You ever, raise your hand in the comment if you've ever heard that in church or, you know, amongst Christians. Thank you, Nancy. Oh, we're all sinners, brother. We're all sinners. Why are people saying that? Why do people say that? Well, brother, you know, we're all sinners. Amen. We're all sinners. <laughs> when we're the righteousness of God in Christ, why are people confessing that? Why are they saying it? What's going on? <laughs> what is happening? What is that? What is happening? <laughs> buddy said, because they need to get saved. <laughs> we're all sinners, buddy. Buddy, get off your high horse. Okay. We're all sinners, buddy. And I'm, I'm telling you, people talk like that. They live like that. What in the world is going on? Stop talking like that. Stop confessing that. Stop confessing that. I'm not. You're not. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things have become new. Everything. Everything. And that's a dangerous thing because what ends up happening is this. It gives you such a low view of yourself. A low, low view of yourself. That you begin to expect yourself to fail. You understand that? Saying things like that gives you such a low view of yourself that you start to expect yourself to fail. It's almost like you have an excuse to just continue to fail so that every time your flesh takes over and you make, well, how may know, amen, we're all sinners, amen, amen. Let's just lift our hands and thank the Lord that we're all sinners. I mean, like, what is going on? And that's all it is. That's literally it all, because it's not taught in scripture. You're not going to find that, that thought process in the New Testament. You'll find the exact opposite of the New Testament. In fact, Paul says in one place, uh, when you're doing all this arguing and bickering and, and forming cliques, are you not acting like mere men? Paul says that. Are you not acting like mere men? Which means he is suggesting that they're no longer mere men, but supernatural beings. Stop acting like mere men. You're no longer mere men. You are supernatural beings. Powerful. Powerful. And so I want you to hear it. We're not sinners saved by grace. Hyper grace movement is wicked. And we're not just sinners saved by grace. Let me give you number three. And I guess I'm giving you six now. Number three, also a very dangerous lie. God is in control, amen. And people use that, by the way. People use that phrase to relieve themselves of responsibility. And it's an excuse for laziness. Well, how many know God is in control anyway, amen. Amen. <laughs> it always makes me laugh. Oh yeah, Ariana. People say that. We sin every day. We don't even know we're sinning. I had somebody say that to me when I was in Bible school. Literally. 
You know, we sin every day and we don't even know we're sinning. I asked them, I said, really? You sin and don't know you're sinning? Oh yeah, we all do. We all sin and we don't even know we're sinning half the time. I said, if that's true, then the Holy Spirit sucks at his job because the Bible teaches us that one of his main jobs since he came is to convict the world of sin and to convict believers of their righteousness. So if you're sinning and the Holy Spirit doesn't even let you know you are sinning by conviction, he's gone on vacation. He's not even doing his job anymore. No, you don't sin and not know you're sinning. Not as a Christian, not as a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and he's your teacher, he's your guide, and he's there to convict you of righteousness and convict the world of sin. It's impossible. It's impossible. And you do hear that all the time, by the way. I agree with you. You hear it all the time. But number three is also something that's extremely dangerous. God's in control. And, and they use that, they use that as a way to alleviate uh, responsibility. I don't have to do any of this. You know, God, ultimately, brother, amen, ultimately God's in control. There's literally, there's people that'll say that in regards to their soul winning life, in regards to their church, in regards to like what they do it. Well, you know, amen, you know, God's in control anyway. And he, uh, you know, if stuff goes wrong and they don't want to do anything about it, well, you know, how many know God's in control anyway? Amen. We don't know. We don't know everything he's doing, but as though he's just trying to trick his children. Let me read you something about this. The Bible says, and of course, I'm not saying God doesn't know things. He's omniscient. He knows all things. And I'm not saying he doesn't know what's coming in the future. I'm not saying that he doesn't have his hand in some things, but you know, he did give us dominion and authority on the earth. He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so there is a measure of dominion and authority God delivered to the church. He said, I give unto you all authority over the power of the devil. That's what he said. Hey, Letty. So I want you to, I want you to hear me as we have authority and dominion, stop making excuses that something's taking place because you know, God's in control and no take authority, take authority. Notice Matthew 10, eight. I want to give you this because, um, especially when it comes down to our mission and our commission, which is go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that does not believe will be damned. These signs will follow them that believe. They'll lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. They'll cast out demons, tread on serpents, scourge another man, and hurt them. The whole commission. I want to give it to you. Look at anybody that understands uh, English class and have, has been there and been slapped on the knuckles as many times as I have. Matthew 10, 8. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Jesus speaking here to his disciples, catch it. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. Freely 
you received, freely you give. Hmm. Hold on a second. Back it up. When I read that verse to you again, can anybody put any, any of my English, any of my English people here, can anybody tell me the understood subject of the sentence? Who is the understood subject of the sentence in Matthew 10, 8? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give. Huh, Kristen already got it on YouTube. You, there, Teresa got it. You, you see that? The understood subject of the sentence? The way you would read it if you included the subject would be like this. You heal the sick. You raise the dead. You cleanse the lepers. You cast out demons. Freely you received. Freely you give. You is the understood subject of that sentence. It's understood as he's talking there that they've already got authority. They've already got power. They've already been given dominion and now it's up to them. Hallelujah. It's up to the commissioned. It's up to them to do those things. Notice what he did not say. Notice, notice that he did not say, well, just pray to me and I'll heal the sick. Pray to me and I'll raise it. Pray to me and I'll cleanse the leper. No, he said, you heal them. You heal them. You raise the, you cleanse the leper. You cast out demons. You cast out demons. Let me just use the, the example that Brother Kenneth Hagin used in the believer's authority. See, just like the military, just like the state government, everything's based upon delegated authority. It's delegated authority. So if there's a traffic light out and a police officer has to go to an intersection to direct traffic until the light can be repaired, what's he doing? He's been deputized. He's been deputized. He's operating under the authority of the state. And so you understand that the officer carries power, authority. And so what's he doing? He doesn't have the power to put his hands on your hood of your car and literally push your car back into place. And if you decide to go, you can't because he's overpowering your car. That man can't overpower your car, but you know what he can do? He can hold up a flashlight and wave you on through or tell you to stop and you will stop. And if you don't, there are consequences. Why? Because he's been given authority. And let me ask you something and show you something. Every time he wants to make a change or give a command, does that officer have to then stop everything he's doing, get on the phone and dial the governor's office and say, hang on right there. I want, I want this uh, flow of traffic to stop, but hold on one second. I'm going to get the governor. Hello? Yeah, put me through to the governor. Hang on one second. Put me through to the governor. Hello? Yes. Officer McNally here. 
I'm down here at this intersection on first and main, and I'd like to stop the flow of traffic. I'm going to put you on speakerphone. Could you do me a favor and just yell and tell all the cars to stop? Thank you so much. All right, hang on. I'm going to put you on speaker. Boom. Stop. He doesn't have to call the governor. Doesn't have to call the mayor. How ridiculous would it be? Every time a police officer wanted to make an arrest, he actually had to have the governor uh, do it over the phone. I mean, can you imagine how stupid that would be? And that's how people think that we have to be in the kingdom. But notice Jesus gave them a way of operating. I gave you the authority. Now you go do it. I gave you the authority. Now you go do it. Somebody put it in the comments. I have authority. I have authority. Put it in the comment section. I have authority. How many know God's in control? Amen. What is that? An excuse for if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed? Well, we won't know till we get to heaven. Amen. He's in control. As if you prayed for a person and God just refused to heal them. I just don't, you know, we, we don't know why, but he doesn't always heal everybody. That's how some people believe. That's how some people believe. I have authority. He didn't say, pray to me and I'll cleanse the leper. He didn't say, pray to me and I'll heal the sick. He didn't say, pray to me and I'll cast the devils out for you. He said, you heal the sick. You cast out devils. Freely you received, you give. You already got it. Now you give it. It's like when I was in Brazil last year and that demon possessed woman came to the altar. I'm standing there in a room full of, you know, 1200 to 1400 people, whatever we had, plus the overflow room, people are getting saved. The altar's packed. And this woman comes down with a demon to disrupt the service. What do you think I'm going to do? Stop the whole, I'm going to stop the whole thing. And go down and say, now, Father, I'm just asking you now, if you could just come. Oh, Lord, come, I ask you. And I ask you to come and cast this demon out of this woman so we could go on with the service. Amen, Lord. We're just going to wait on you even now. While she's trying to, like, punch everybody and, you know, disrupt the service, she ran across the front attempting to punch all the new believers in the face. It took four full-grown men to hold this little woman down because she was full of the devil. And you think I'm just going to sit there and go... Amen, Lord. I'm just going to ask you now, if you would, cast this demon out of this woman. Lord, would you do it? Please do it, Lord. Cast it out. No. He said, you cast out devils. You cast out devils. You cast out devils. So I jumped off the platform and straddled that woman who was on the ground and commanded those demons to come out of her. And they came out. They came out quickly. They didn't want to come out. They actually told me that they weren't going to come out. Literally, where nobody spoke English in the middle of rural Brazil, only Portuguese, and this woman only spoke Portuguese, but the demons spoke back in English. And I said, you're coming out tonight. And they spoke back and said, no, we're not. In English. My interpreter looked at me like, what in the world? Didn't need me for that? No, I didn't need you for that one. And the demons spoke back and they said, well, no, we're not coming out. Oh, you're coming out. Cause I've been given authority and I commanded them to come out and they came out. 
two demons. I cast two demons out of that woman in that night. And she, she flailed on the ground. They thrashed at her, thrashed. And then she went limp and peaceful and they left both of them. I had to cast them out individually. One tried to stay. It's so funny. I think you're slick as if, as if the people of God don't have discernment. And I can't tell there's still a demonic presence. I can't tell there's still that demonic hatred flowing out of your eye. You think I can't tell? You ain't playing peekaboo with me all night long. I could feel it and still sense it. That's why we have the Holy Ghost. Cast the first one out, it went right out. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like that preacher told the story. I heard a story one time. Preacher was casting demons out of this guy. He cast out like three demons. <laughs> he went back. To, kept, kept on, to keep on going. And the, and the demon spoke out from inside the man and said, we're all gone. <laughs> we're all gone. Yeah, you're a liar. You must be the lion spirit. Um, but they came out quickly. But I didn't sit there and petition God and say, oh Lord, now would you come down? Send Jesus, would you? We need a demon to go out tonight. Please send Jesus if you would. No, you cast out devils. You cast out devils and we cast them out. Yeah, it was Brother Shambach told that story. You must be the lion demon. And I'm just telling you, you've got authority. So when people use this excuse, well, God's in control. Amen. How many know God's? Yeah, but he gave you control. He gave you dominion. He gave you authority. Speak to the mountain. Speak to the mountain. Commanded to be cast into the sea. You can have what you say. You've got authority. You've got dominion. God gave it to you. It's time for us to use it. That's a dangerous lie we believe. Oh, well, you know, God's in control. No, he gave you authority, gave you authority and dominion. It's time to use it. Let me give you number four. People say this. Well, I guess God had other plans. <laughs> it's an excuse for powerlessness. Well, I guess God had other plans. Anybody ever raise a hand in the comments if you've heard people say that? Well, guess God had other plans. <laughs> I guess God had other plans. People say that all the time. Something happens. So what are you going to do? You're going to attribute the works of the devil to God because of what life threw at you? Something happens. Well, guess God had other plans. I was believing for increase this year, but I guess God had other plans. I was believing for my healing, but I guess God had other plans. I was believing that we would have, by this time, we would have everything. And people say that kind of stuff all the time. Well, I guess God had other plans. What an excuse for powerlessness. How about get your breakthrough? Get your breakthrough. You understand what I'm saying? Fast, pray, press in. Get your breakthrough by the power of God. Don't stop till you have what God said is yours. Don't stop until you have what God said is yours. Get your, get your miracle, get your breakthrough, get your healing. If it's in the word, it's for you. Don't, don't let things come into your life and then say, well, I guess God had other plans. He didn't have other plans. You have to enforce his plans. Oh, hallelujah. You've got to enforce God's plans. I want you to write that because most people never hear that. They never, they're never taught that. 
their churches don't teach it, put it in the comments. I must enforce God's plans. You are an enforcer on the earth. You're an enforcer on the earth. I must enforce God's plans. Hallelujah. I must enforce his plans. The Bible teaches it. I mean, I could, I could go from story after story after story. The Red Sea crossing. I mean, he brought, brought his people out of Egypt and here they come across the desert and all of a sudden now they're at the Red Sea. What are you going to do? You're going to stand there and say, I guess God had other plans. No. Jairus' daughter. Jesus is coming to heal her. She dies while he's on the way. Guess God had other plans. I mean, you can go through the whole Bible. Guess God, God didn't have other plans. He anointed you to enforce his plans. Hallelujah. He anointed you to enforce his plans. Glory to God. I feel the anointing on that one. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands right where you're at. I feel the anointing right on this part. God didn't have other plans. It's time for us to enforce the plans of God on the earth. Lift your hands wherever you're watching. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, that you're carrying out your plans and your purposes. And you're using us to do it. I feel to pray right here. Lord, in this year of 2021, let us be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Let us be sensitive to your agenda and your plans so that we can step out by faith and do what you've called us to do and to see your will be done on the earth. You taught your disciples to pray. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're praying tonight. Let this be a year that your will is done not only in America, but around the world by the power of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would make us not only sensitive, but bold, bold in the Holy Ghost to carry out your plans to enforce your agenda in this earth. We thank you that the church is rising supernaturally. The church is rising supernaturally. Thank you for telling your men who prophesied that this would be a year that the church would rise into another dimension. This is going to be a, a year that the church will flourish. The true church flourish on another dimension. Hallelujah. I thank you that this is going to be a year that the church will explode in productivity. We're going to run in 2021. We're going to run in 2021 by the power of the Most High God. In Jesus' name, put a fresh anointing on every one of us. Blow your breath from heaven on us. We thank you, Lord, for using us. You called us. You saw us ahead of time. You called us. Best things are ahead. Best days are ahead. Jesus' name. I felt that right there to stop and release that prayer. Things are getting ready to get a whole lot better for the church. Whole lot better. Position yourself. Get ready. We don't say, I guess God had other plans. Another, tell you another one. This will be number five. Well, how many know revival is coming? Amen. It's an excuse for fruitlessness. People always talk about the move of God like it's somewhere out in the future. 
somewhere way out in the future. How many know revival's coming? Revival's coming. Let me read you a verse of scripture, actually three verses of scripture. Acts chapter four, verses 29 through 31. They are praying after the um, persecution of the church. Listen to this. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And look at this. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they preached the word of God with boldness. Glory to God, with boldness. Notice they didn't just sit around saying, how many know revival's coming, amen. How many believe that tonight? Revival's coming, it's on the way. How many know revival's on the way? Stop talking like that. And and I wanna give you a concept. Can I share a, a concept with you? Listen to this. Put it in the comments. I am revival. I know that'll freak some people out. I know that will freak some people out, but put that in the comments. I am revival. Let me break that that down for a moment. I am revival. There's an old evangelist I know. (laughs) He was in a meeting one time and uh, this pastor was up you know, kind of preaching and kind of, I don't know if he was trying to rip evangelists or what he was doing, but this is back maybe in the eighties, late eighties. And this pastor's got the microphone and he's going off on, and then he made this comment. Some of these evangelists, they feel like they travel around with revival in their briefcase. And that old evangelist, he turned with his briefcase and he flipped the things open and he held it up. He said, I do. And you look inside, he's got all of his songs, all of his messages, all of his stuff. He's got everything he brings to every revival in his briefcase. He said, I do carry revival in my briefcase. And in all reality, you know what? He was right. He does carry revival. You do carry revival. You are revival. The spirit of revival is literally in every believer. It's the Holy Ghost who brings revival. He's not off in some distant land trying his best to get to where we are. He's already here. He's in you. I am revival. You are revival. Shouldn't wait on it. We are it. I am a move of God. Oh, hallelujah. I am a move of God. feel like saying that tonight. You are a move of God. That's the whole point. That's what being united with Christ is all about. He doesn't have to be separated from us. He's in us. I am a move of God. Glory to God. I am a move of God. Thank you, Jesus. Did you ever notice revival? followed the apostles and the Christians in the New Testament. Did you ever notice this? 
They didn't travel to go see a revival. They didn't travel to go be a part of a revival. They didn't travel to go and attend a revival. Wherever they went, revival happened. Did you ever notice that? Have you ever thought that thought? The early church didn't travel to a revival. They didn't attend a revival. They didn't go see a revival. Wherever they were, there was revival. Thank you, Jesus. Wherever they were, there was revival. That's how it works. You carry revival. You are a move of God. That's what the Holy Ghost in you means. That's why he's there. I'll show you this way. I've used this scripture many times before. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John at the temple. There's a lame man. What did they say? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. Such as I have, I give you. You know what that means? They had something. (laughs) And what they had could bring the man a miracle and bring him back his life. He got revived on that day by what was in them. It was already in them. How many know revivals come? No. Can you imagine how ridiculous it would have been if that man needed help and Peter and John just said to him, well, you know, just hang on, brother, because revival's coming. Amen. Oh, revival's coming. Doesn't matter how much vibrato's in your voice, how Holy Ghost you try to sound. It's still not what the Bible teaches. We are in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He already did that. Do you realize what Joel prophesied in Joel chapter two in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. All of that prophecy was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. That's why Peter got up and quoted what the prophet Joel said. It is in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. It was the fulfillment of that prophecy. It's not coming. People get up and talk about Joel like that stuff hasn't happened yet. How many know we're coming into the last days and God said in the last days he was going to pour out his spirit. He already did. You realize nobody had that until the day of Pentecost. All flesh couldn't get his spirit before the day of Pentecost. But on that day, he did what he prophesied he would do by the prophet Joel. He did it in the early church. And on the day of Pentecost, poured out his spirit on all flesh. Thank you, Lord. It's not going to come to pass. It came to pass. That's why we can be filled with the Holy Ghost because he poured out his spirit upon all flesh. The revival is here. so funny to me. You get pre- preachers get up revival. You know, it ain't here yet, but it will be here. People, these people go around saying they're in revival. Revival ain't here yet. I'd know if it was here. It's coming. It ain't here yet. It's here. I don't know what else you're waiting for. I don't know what else you're waiting for. Well, how many know revival's coming? Quit saying that and get some revival that's in you out of you and learn how to flow in the Holy Ghost. It's like needs to be said, by the way, needs to be said stronger than I'm saying it. I may say it stronger. 
Some of these leaders are so weak. I'm not even kidding you. So weak. I get around some preachers and I'm like, dude, what are you doing with your time that you're this weak spiritually? And this has nothing to do with what your voice sounds like or any of that. It's about the fact people aren't carrying anointing on their person. It's a problem. When you've got leaders, spiritual leaders that are not carrying the anointing. I'm not saying that from a proud heart. I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm saying it because I see it. I had somebody write me and got people write me all the time. Text me, call me with questions. And I had somebody just write me a few days ago. They said, what do you think it is about some of these spiritual leaders that uh, you just don't feel the anointing on what they do, whether they're singing a song, whether they're preaching a message? They said, why do you think uh, they don't have the anointing when they minister? I said, that's an easy answer. They don't pray. That's not hard. That's not a hard answer. They don't spend time with God. That's why they don't have the anointing. The anointing is just the presence of God on your life. Notice Moses was in the presence of the Lord directly for 40 days. And when he came down off the mountain, the anointing was so great on him personally, he had to put a veil upon their face, upon his face. Had to put a veil over his face because he glowed with the anointing of God. It would have blinded people. And I'm just telling you, if you're around people that aren't anointed, and I'm talking about leaders, spiritual leaders, they're not praying. You can tell when people don't pray too. It's true, Caitlin. You can tell when people don't pray when they're asked to pray publicly. (laughs) This is when you know if someone actually has a real prayer life or not. We've been subjected to some public prayers that should have never taken place. (laughs) we're going to have brother so-and-so come and just close in prayer. Father God, we just come to you now, Father God. And Father God, we ask you, Father God, that Lord Jesus, Lord, you, God, would just come now, Lord Jesus, Lord God, Father God. And it's like, uh, we know you don't pray. (laughs) We know you don't pray. It's like, I'm looking at Christina Garcia's, uh, profile name in the, on YouTube. Can you imagine if I talked to people like that? Like Christina came up to talk to me at the, at the revival. I was like, hello, Christina, Christina. And I'm just asking you, Christina, that you could come Christina with us next week, Christina, as we go into revival, Christina, cause Christina, we're believing Christina. It's like, you'd think I was a nut job. You'd think I was a basket case. That's how people talk to God. They talk to him like he's not a real person. You know why? Because they don't ever talk to him. And so when they, have you ever had this happen? Have you ever gone to talk to somebody, but you haven't talked to them in so long that the conversation was awkward? You ever had that happen? Have you ever had, put a hand up in the comments if you've ever had that happen. That you go to talk to somebody, you haven't talked to them in a long time, so the conversa- you're trying to be friendly, but the conversation's still really awkward because it's like we haven't talked, and so there's a strangeness between us because there's like this distance that wasn't, didn't used to be there kind of a thing.
That's what happens when people get asked to pray publicly and they haven't talked to God in a while. (laughs) Their conversation with God is awkward. It is cringy. Because they've been asked to talk to somebody that they don't talk to and should have been talking to and now it's publicly seen. Oh, you don't pray. I got you. Oh, yeah. The Shakespearean prayer. Father, thou art great. Spread thine hands of mercy and blessing upon thy children. It's like, well, who in the world did you just turn into? You know, God can understand. You realize this. For every deacon in every denominational church, let me just put out a public service announcement. God can understand talk that isn't in the King James Version. Just for anybody, any deacon that's praying to close the service in any denominational church. PSA, God can understand modern English. (laughs) We come to thee now and ask thy great blessings upon thy handmaidens. And it's like, what in the world? Who did you just become? And so it needs to be said. The anointing's not there because people don't spend time with God. That's not a complex, it's not like this thing we need to think about for like, you know, two days. Wonder why people don't seem anointed. They don't spend time in the presence of God. That's all there is to it. When they asked Dr. Cho and Madam Che, his mother-in-law, how did you grow the largest church in the world? How did you get over a million members? You know what the answer was? We pray, 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 and fast, fast, fast. You what? And see, everybody wants this like TED Talk breakdown of like 13 ways, 13 practical tips to grow a large church. That's what everybody wants. That's what everybody wants. 13 practical, foolproof tips to grow a church in the modern era. That's something that you could use like as a a freebie online. That's what people want to see. But you know what they said? Pray, 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 fast, fast, fast. That's exactly how they grew the largest church in the world. And people tried to press him on it. Bob Rogers was, was saying in one of his books that his father asked Madam Che. No, no, seriously. How, pray, 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 fast, fast, fast. That's how we did it. No, but seriously, tell me the tell me the answer. Pray, 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 fast, fast, fast. They wonder how Dr. Enoch Adeboye, Pastor Enoch Adeboye, took the redeemed Christian Church of God from 160 churches in Nigeria to churches in 160 nations of the world. How did you do that? He prayed and he fasted for the the last, what, 30 years of his life, three 40-day fasts a year, praying every night from midnight until six in the morning. That's not an exaggeration. He only stopped doing that when he turned 70 years old. I mean, the man's like 73 Exactly. Dr. Rodney answering people's questions on Instagram today. Almost every answer was pray in the Holy Ghost. Exactly. And Pastor Adeboye went and and God used him to expand the redeemed Christian church of God, bring Pentecostal churches around the world with a mission statement to plan a Pentecostal church within walking distance of every human on the planet. Has a building that's, you know, almost two miles long by two miles wide that they fill with people. Two to four million people. Every month they have a Holy Ghost service. Every year they have a Pentecostal Congress. What's the secret? 
pray and fast, pray and fast. How are you so anointed? Pray and fast. People ask, how does that guy so anointed? What makes him so anointed? Why does he have the anointing? Pray and fast. That's how. It's not a, it's not a mystery. It's not like 29 steps to breakthrough. Pray and fast. Jesus, how are you so anointed? Pray. Jesus, how come we couldn't cast out this demon? Pray. <laughs> Could you not tarry with me for one hour? Pray. Pray and fast. Understand how they're so, man, that guy's powerful. I wish I could be powerful like that. You can pray and fast. That's all you have. It's it's not, it's just, here's the only thing. It's not that it's complex how to do it. It's just that people won't do it. They won't. Their flesh fights back against it and then they just don't do it. And then that's it. They just let their, that's the same reason people don't work out at the gym. Same people, reason people don't lose weight. It's not a mystery how to lose weight. Everybody knows how to do it. You burn more calories than you consume. It's not rocket science. As George, as George W. Bush said, you don't have to be a rocket surgeon. It's, it's, it's not rocket science. That's all it is. Pray and fast. That's where the anointing comes from. That's where the anointing is manifested. It's where you grow in the anointing. Pray and fast. Pray and fast. <laughs> That's all it is. Pray and fast. You ever notice how one person could sing a song, same song, another person could sing the same song, this person, it's anointed like you've never felt, and then this person over here, excellent performance, no anointing on it. Don't tell me it's because the song's anointed and the song's not anointed. No, same song. Why did he sing it and the anointing hit like wildfire? He sang it, nothing. The anointing makes the difference. The anointing makes the difference. Well, how do you operate in that anointing? You pray and you fast. So Pastor Adeboye said, somebody asked, and I had somebody ask him this for me because I was not there. And I asked the same question to every, uh, every man of God that I meet that's shaken their nation or shaken the world. What would you go back and tell the 30-something-year-old version of yourself if you could go back knowing all you know now? You know what his answer was? I'll give you a minute to guess. <laughs> Pastor Adeboye said, you should never stand to preach, ever, ever, unless you've prayed at least an hour in tongues. That, that was his answer. I would tell myself, don't ever stand to preach without at least praying an hour in tongues. Well, Dr. Cho said the same thing, except it depended on what nation he was in. He said if he was in the United States, he could get by with, you know, a couple hours of prayer, two hours of prayer before preaching each time. He said if he was in Korea, he felt they'd had a breakthrough. And so he'd pray a couple hours in prayer before he would preach every time. But he said if he went to Europe, he felt a little bit more of a resistance and he'd pray four hours before each time he prayed, preached four hours. But when he went to Japan, he said, because Japan had never had a national revival, you know, they've never had a national revival in the history of their nation. Did you know that after world war II came to a close, general MacArthur was in Japan, wrote back to the United States and said, if you'll send me missionaries, I'll give you a Christian nation. And all of the denominations in America got together 
and only mustered a couple hundred missionaries. Failed in the moment of breakthrough. Failed. And Japan, as a result, has never had a national revival. Well, Dr. Cho said he had such a heart for, for Japan that he learned Japanese in order to preach without an interpreter. And he said, I feel such a resistance in the spirit when I go to Japan to preach. I won't stand to preach unless I've prayed for at least six hours, six hours, six hours. He wrote that in his book, Prayer That Brings Revival. Dr. Cho, six hours. It's not a TED talk. <laughs> six hours of prayer. wonder how they're so anointed. They pray. In fact, did you know if the disciples learned anything about Jesus, they saw his power. I know we've kind of gotten off the thing, but this is obviously what the Holy Spirit wants to say, so I'm just going to say it and then pray for you. When the disciples observed Jesus' ministry, take note of something that I'm going to point out to you right now and write this down, make a note of it. After all they saw Jesus say and do, they never said to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to preach. They never said that. We don't have any record of them saying, Lord, teach us to fast. Not once. Not once. Lord, teach us to cast out devils. They never asked that. You know what they asked him? Lord, teach us to pray. That's what they asked him. And so disciples who were with him all the time must have recognized that the source of Jesus' success and power was his prayer life. They recognized it. They had to have recognized it because it's the only thing we have record in the New Testament that they asked him to teach them how to do. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Then you look at Jesus' prayer life. Here's a man who would rise up early before the dawn and he would pray. Luke chapter 6, he prayed through the night. When they couldn't figure out why they couldn't cast out the demon in Mark chapter 9, the Bible says he responded to them and said, this kind of demon doesn't come out except by prayer. Some translations add, and fasting. Prayer. It's the reason that they failed sometimes, the disciples, lack of prayer. It's, and we see it in the garden, it's something that they wouldn't discipline their flesh to do, pray, they'd fall asleep. And it's something they had to gain victory over. And by the early, the, the establishing of the early church, they had to, they had to establish disciplines and habits to keep themselves in places of prayer. So you know what the disciples did after Jesus left the earth? They established two days every week that they would fast and pray. And then they established an hour every day that they would pray as the church. And that's what you see in Acts chapter three. They were going up into the temple at the hour of prayer. And so they recognized what caused Jesus to be successful and they did everything they could to mirror that success. They said, teach us to pray. And then after he left, 
they continued on in his discipline of prayer and the church exploded throughout the whole earth. The church exploded. I feel to pray for you right now. Bow your head where you're watching. I'm going to ask the Lord to put this desire to pray, to put this anointing of prayer upon your life, that you'll see victory, that there'll never be something you come up against that you cannot handle, that you cannot deal with. You'll never be in a situation like the disciples were, where they said, Lord, why could we not do it? Why, could, why would it not work for us? That'll never be your story in Jesus' name. Because tonight I'm asking the Lord to give you a hunger and a desire to pray like you never have. Father, touch your people tonight. Speak to every one of them by your power, by your glory. And I pray that you would speak into their spirits. Let your voice call them to prayer. Let your voice call them to prayer in Jesus' name. Give us a hunger for prayer, a desire for prayer. As we've seen those that have gone before us that have been successful in prayer, let us be those that are also successful in prayer. That we won't shirk our duties, responsibilities as believers, but that we will pray faithfully and consistently. Lord, let us also pray kingdom prayers in Jesus' name. Kingdom prayers by the power of the Holy Ghost. Don't let us be selfish in prayer. Let us pray kingdom prayers. Things that are your heart, your agenda, your plan for the earth. Use us as your children to pray those things into being. Pray those things into existence. We take a moment now and come against every plan and plot of the enemy in this earth. Every antichrist agenda, every antichrist spirit that tries to exalt itself against the things of God, the people of God, the move of God. We ask you now to blow your breath from heaven. Blow every wicked thing out of our way. Let this year be a year that we run in momentum. Let every church that is standing for the things of God grow. Let every church that's Holy Ghost expand in Jesus' mighty name. Let souls be added to the kingdom. I ask you by the power of your spirit that you would equip and ignite laborers. Activate people. Activate your people. By the power of the Holy Ghost, laborers in the harvest field, send laborers this year into the harvest field supernaturally, fully equipped, fully on fire, ready to reap this untimed harvest of souls in Jesus' wonderful name. Equip us and release us into the harvest field as warriors. And we thank you, Lord, that we'll never be, ever be pushed back. We'll never let the devil stop us. We'll never let the lies of the enemy make us feel like we're unworthy to do what you've called us to do. Thank you for making us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Thank you, Lord, for calling us. Thank you, Lord, that before the foundations of the earth were laid, you called our names, you formed us, you put us into position. We thank you that you saw us ahead of time, that there's nothing the devil can do about it because your voice is the controlling factor in this universe. Thank you. We can't be taken out by the plans of the enemy. I pray divine protection over your people this year. I thank you that no plot or plan of the enemy will take them out personally. I thank you, Lord, no evil thing will come near their dwelling place. Protect their children supernaturally. Protect them physically from harm and danger. Protect their minds from depression and anxiety.
I thank you, Lord, that joy floods your people. Peace floods your people in the mighty name of Jesus. Let blessing and prosperity overtake every faithful sower. Let this be a year that they're free from debt, nothing hanging over their head. I thank you, Lord, that more than enough will be available, that we'll walk in increase and overflow in Jesus' mighty name. Strengthen your ministers all over the earth, your pastors, your evangelists, your teachers, your apostles, your prophets. Strengthen the fivefold ministry gift all over the earth. Lord, whatever you've called them to do in whatever position that they're holding today, let them be strengthened. Let them be encouraged. Don't let us become discouraged or weary in well-doing, but allow us to be encouraged and we will encourage ourselves in the Lord as well. We thank you that you're building us up by your power. We thank you that you're strengthening us by your anointing. Be the greatest year we've ever had. We thank you for it. We give you praise. Now I take authority over every attack of the enemy that's come against those watching. Sickness, I command you to loose your grip and let them go tonight in Jesus' name. Let them go tonight. I loose healing virtue to every physical body. Be made whole in Jesus' name. Be made whole in Jesus' name. You foul spirit of heaviness, depression, anxiety, fear, suicidal thoughts. I take authority over you tonight and I lose joy and I lose peace in the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' mighty name, loose your grip on their mind and let them go in Jesus' mighty name. Father, I take authority over lack and poverty, commanded to run from their homes in Jesus' name. We ask you to give us household salvation this year. Let us be able to declare, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We thank you for it. We give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive that prayer. Receive that prayer. Every person watching, in the mighty name of Jesus, I love you. Thank you for spending time with me tonight. We're going to put the information on the screen. If you'd like to sow, you can. We appreciate every person that is sowing, standing with this ministry. Carolyn has one more uh, session tomorrow. Today was powerful. If you got to see it on uh, Faith TV, powerful sessions. She has another one tomorrow starting at 11 a.m. till 1. We'll be live again at 1030 as well. And come, of course, tomorrow night at 9. Thank you to everybody that's standing with this ministry. Thank you for every partner. You've, you've stood with us. You believe what God's doing in Miracle Word Ministries. We thank you. Uh, this week is our second week of being on television. And now we're expanding to other nations. And it's amazing what God's allowed us to do. Continue to pray as I am that these television broadcasts are touching the lost and bringing people into the kingdom. We're believing that souls will be saved in mass this year. And I believe it. I believe it will take place. You can always go to miracleword.com. You can sow your seeds there. Uh, Cash apps available, PayPal, Venmo, hashtag donate. Thank you for standing with this ministry. Thank you for sowing seeds. Love you very, very much. Uh, Have a wonderful night. Our magazines are getting ready to go out uh, either tomorrow or the next day. I think that the, uh, the best way, Elizabeth, is probably through Cash App, if you're in the United States. Uh, probably Cash App takes the least out, I'm guessing. Uh, you can always use our website as well. Either way is great. Um, but our magazines are going out either tomorrow or the next day, I'm not sure exactly, but if you have not um, signed up to receive them, sign up and grab it, miracleword.com forward slash live. 
you can get your copy of the magazine. It's an excellent, best edition we've ever released. So sign up and grab that. I love you guys. Thanks again for being with me tonight. Went a little longer, but that's all right. I like hanging with you. I'll see you in the morning, 10.30 a.m. Don't miss it. Have a wonderful rest, and I'll see you later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.